Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Hey, what's up Wednesday night? How you guys doing? You're here. You made it. Thanks for coming to church tonight. Thanks for being here. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. Can we give a huge welcome to all of our friends viewing online too? Give them a hand for being here with us. We are so glad that you're with us. Uh, If you're new to ACF, if you're new to the community, thanks for being here with us on Wednesday night. Uh, We started this uh, Wednesday night church service uh, about a year ago, maybe a little less than a year, and it's been awesome. Uh, The first few weeks were awkward. Like, it was just awkward in the room. Nobody really knew each other. They didn't know what to do. And, and there, there's just been this community that's built on Wednesday night. And I love it. I love hearing stories of people who are, are like, I, I wouldn't go to church if we didn't have Wednesday night church. I, I can't go to church. I'm working on a weekend or whatever it may be. I'm typically gone. And so this is providing an opportunity for us to reach our city in new ways. So thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for bringing your friends and, and joining us here. We are uh, beginning a new series tonight called Crooked Crowns. And, and we're going to spend five Five weeks talking about leadership, talking about kings in the Bible that were good kings and kings that were bad kings, and talking about what is the difference between a good king and a bad king. And, and, and so I don't know um, what your experience is with leadership, but I would say for most of us, we have stories, um, lots of stories, of good leadership and bad leadership, right? We, most of us have experienced good leaders and bad leaders and maybe um, have, have dealt with some of the repercussions of bad leadership decisions. Um, maybe your boss right now is driving you crazy and you can see it and it's falling apart behind the scenes and you're like, I'm just waiting for the bottom to drop out because it's going to get bad. Um, maybe you've seen great leadership, the, the kind of people that maybe make you want to be a better person at your job, a, a better worker or maybe just a better human being, the kind of leaders that pull out the best in you. And so this series is going to be about leadership. It's going to be about who we are as people. And, and I, I would say this, you are a leader whether you know it or not. Um, there's people that are watching you, uh, which I know terrifies most of you. There are people that are, that are watching the way that you live. And if they know that you're a believer, they're going, okay, this is what a, a child of God looks like. This is what a Christian looks like. And they're determining what they think about Christianity based on you. How do you like that? Awesome. Exciting, right? Um, you know, there are people, your kids maybe are watching you. Maybe your coworkers are watching you. Uh, you all have people who you are leading. And so in, in many ways, you are leading whether you know it or not. The question is, are you a good leader or are you a bad leader? And so what we want to do is learn from the past. It's really good to dig into where we've come from and where we've seen uh, God's people come from and, and decide, like, what kind of leader will we be? Let's look at their mistakes and let's look at their successes and determine how we should live. And so uh, excited to get into this with you guys. Uh, I'd encourage you, it's five weeks. Would you commit to just being here for five weeks? I know it's, uh, you know, being here every week is a commitment, but if you would just uh, consider that, making this a commitment on Wednesday night, like I'm going to do it. I'm going to be in community for five weeks. And I just, I believe that as you do that, you're going to see fruit from that in your life. 
You're going to see fruit from that in this community as you show up and you see people uh, more than just maybe one week and be gone for a couple weeks and you get to know people in new ways. You're going to feel more like this is home, especially if you're brand new and you're new to the area and you're like, I don't know about this church. I don't know if, if anybody knows or cares that I'm here. Here's the deal. I do care that you're here. And there are people in this room that care that you're here. You just got to show up so that we can get to know you. Okay? You got to, during that meet and greet time that's super awkward that everybody hates, actually get up and meet somebody. Talk to somebody. I know it drives people crazy, especially you introverts, but it's good for us. We need those, those opportunities to get outside of ourselves and meet some new people. And so uh, tonight we're going to be talking about a man named King David, and I'm excited to tell a story uh, about him. And uh, tonight I've titled Earplugs. Earplugs. So who went to the air show this week? Anybody go to the air show? It was an awesome. Uh, so good. I love the, uh, the air show here in Alaska. Uh, I missed it a couple years ago and really missed out. So we literally scheduled our summer around making sure we'd be here for the air show. Because I just, I love it. If you guys don't know, I'm a military kid. And growing up uh, with an Air Force dad, uh, he was in for 30 years. We were just always on the base, always seeing airplanes fly over. And, uh, and so I just love being around that. And the show is awesome, like it always is this year. And we brought our kids. We have three kids. And this year we thought ahead. Many years we forget about this, but we brought earplugs for our kids. And this is really key. It's really important because what I realized the first year when my little boy was like crying, you know, underneath my, my, my seat was he's not having a whole lot of fun. And so I realized like my kids need to protect their ears so that they can actually enjoy the air show because it's, it's loud, right? It's super loud. You got planes flying overhead. Well, this, this year I remember like, you know, we're sitting there and, and they're, they're doing flybys and all my kids, they're excited and they're watching it and they're having fun. They got their earplugs in and their ear, you know, their, their ear, ear covers on or whatever, you know, and there's this little kid over here who didn't have any. His parents are holding on to him, and all of a sudden, he lets go of their arms, and he does this, right? Because isn't that the response when you're terrified, right? Isn't that just kind of the natural human response is duck and cover, right? Cover the ears, close my eyes, and just hold on for dear life. Now, I want to I propose to you that when it comes to being honest about ourselves, when it comes to confronting the truth about ourselves, this is typically our posture. We just don't want to hear it in many ways. And I don't know if you're with me here tonight or if you've ever been in this situation where when you're confronted with the truth and it's right in front of you, you have an opportunity to receive it, the tendency is to run from it. Now, I don't wear a lot of earplugs, but I do wear these all the time. Um, you guys know what these are? These are the Bose noise-canceling headphones, and I'm telling you what, this is God's gift. I'm going to turn it on. I could care less if you're in front of me. I just like, I'm in a different world. This is, these things are God's gift to humanity. I'm telling you, if you've ever flown and you've worn these things, it is a different world, isn't it? Because, I mean, you can put them on, and the kids around you can be screaming, you know. I mean, the plane could be going down, and I got my earphones on. I'm happy, right? Right up to the point that I meet Jesus. I, I am doing good <laughs> because I got my Bose noise-canceling headphones on. They just make you feel good. I mean, you turn on that little button, and it's like I am in my own little world. And there's just something about that, something about kind of putting everything outside of you and, and, and controlling what goes in. And I love that, I mean, this is so much better than earplugs, isn't it? Because you can determine what comes in here, right? I mean, I can listen to music. I can be watching movies. I mean, I get to decide by my own choice everything that goes in to my ears. 
And I love that. I love that control. I love being able to decide that. And again, I would say that this is the case for most of us, that when it comes to the truth, when it comes to being confronted with who you are and, or, or maybe being challenged on how you believe uh, about something or what you believe about something, we tend to like that kind of control. And our tendency is to, to, to go towards things that align with what we already feel and believe. I talked about this last week, confirmation bias, this, this way that we tend to look for things that confirm what we already think and what we already feel. Now, this guy, King David, he had a struggle with this. He really struggled with, with who he was and being honest about his struggles in his life. And so tonight's topic is specifically about something called self-deception, self-deception, uh, that we tend to try to lie to ourselves, to convince ourselves of things that aren't necessarily true, to make things that aren't that, uh, that, that, that they're pretty bad look like they're not that bad. And so just look up here. I want you guys to participate real quick. Just get your arms ready. I want you to participate. So uh, quick question, who struggles with self-deception? Just raise your hand. Now, how many of you have met somebody who struggles with self-deception? Anybody? Yep. So I would say that for the most part, we've all been a part of this and struggled with this, but we've definitely seen people who have struggled with this. In fact, for the most part, we see it in other people before we spot it in ourselves. Isn't that the case? I mean, for most of us, we're like, I don't know, I'm pretty honest with myself. But when we look at other people, we can typically come up with a lot of names of people who struggle with self-deception. And none of us set out to deceive ourselves. Like, none of you woke up this morning and was like, I'm just going to lie to myself today and convince myself that I'm something that I'm not. I'm going to lie to myself and try to believe things that are incorrect about the world around. Know what? None of us try to do that, but, but the thing is, none of us really set up, a, or, or we tend to not set up things in place in our lives so that we can be people who are honest and so that we can be authentic about who we are. And, and this is just foundationally about ACF Church. Who we are, you guys, is we're just honest. We're just honest. Like tonight, honestly, I'm sick. And honestly, I didn't really feel like getting up and preaching tonight. Can I just tell you guys that? Is that okay? That's probably kind of wrong for me to do. Anyway, maybe you're not used to that kind of honesty. I didn't feel like getting up and preaching tonight. I'm, I'm feeling kind of under the weather. I'm kind of tired. I was out late last night. I went into the woods to try to shoot a bear, and we didn't see a bear. And I got home at 5 a.m. Anyway, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of crusty. I'm just being honest with you. So, this is foundationally who we are. I'm just, I'm, we, we want to be a, a place of people who are just honest about where we're at, who we are, so that we can go somewhere from there. Because you guys, uh, we can't go anywhere from deception, can we? Like we can't get anywhere from being a crowd of people who are trying to act like things that we're not. There's a lot of places in the world that you can do that. The church is not one of those places. So open, open up real quick uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is a great story. Many of you heard this story before, but I want to bring it in towards this idea of self-deception. It's the story of King David and Bathsheba. And so if you don't know who King David is, this man was the successor of King Saul. He, he was David and Goliath, right? He killed the giant. This man has done amazing things. He is the classic um, ancient Renaissance man. So this guy was like an artist and a poet and a musician, and he knew how to kill people. So, I mean, he could do it all. This David was amazing. Just one of those guys, a man's man, one of those guys that all the other guys wanted to be like, right? So he, this guy could do a lot. He had all these ladies after. After him. I mean, just one of these guys that had a lot going for him. And I will say this, when, when I've met people like that or I see people like that, I'm always like, boy, 
God's going to do great things for you or when you fall, you're going to fall hard, right? Do you know somebody that it seems like, man, it's like they do everything so well, you know, and, and they have so much potential for good, but they also have so much potential for evil in their lives. That's how it works. It's like our potential for good goes up at the same time our potential for evil goes up. And this is how it is in David's life with all the influence and all the power that he has. So let's read this together in, in verse 1. It says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel. And as they traveled, the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Okay, so David uh, sticks around. At this point in his life, he's accomplished a lot. Everybody else is going out to battle, and David kind of sticks around home, which is, I think, kind of his first mistake. Like, when everybody else was going out to battle, all the other men were getting out there, he decided, I'm just going to stick around and sit this one out. And what we know about this is sometimes in certain seasons of our lives, spare time is not a good thing. You guys, you been there before? When you're restless of heart, and, and I, th- I just feel like David at this season of his life has done a lot, and he's just sort of like restless, looking for something new, looking to, to see what God might do next in his life. And, and, and so in that restlessness, there's also temptation, right? And so in that temptation, sometimes having spare time is not a good thing. Sometimes you just need to get out with your friends, you need to make some plans, because being at home is gonna get you in trouble, right? So this is David, he's at home, It says, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. Uh, David had a couch. I love that. His couch. And was walking on the roof of the king's house. Then he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Okay, so next step. David's walking around his house. It's afternoon time. I think he's kind of, like I said, kind of restless. What am I going to do? And I I wonder if he knew what was going to happen when he went out on the roof. Like, this is a guy that's lived here for a little while. He had to kind of know what happened about this time of the afternoon, that there was going to be a little bit of bathing happening on the roofs in the area. But he goes up there, and at this point, like, he hasn't messed it up yet. At this point, he's gone up. He's seen something that he shouldn't see. And this is the moment of decision, isn't it? This is always the moment of What will David do with the temptation? Because that really is the determining factor, you know, between, between somebody who is being sinful and somebody who's being righteous. Because we can't live in a bubble, you guys. Like, as Christians, you can't hide. It's a, this is a pornographic society. It really is. I mean, you're going to see things and come across things that, that, that are just not going to be good for you. And it's always that second look, isn't it? It's always that second decision. Like, what am I going to do with the situation that I'm in? What's David going to do? Is he going to run downstairs? Oh, man. Oh, man. I got to apologize to that, du- that, that woman's husband. Like, oh, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's really inappropriate. Shouldn't have been up there. Bad choice. God, you know, just cleanse my heart. You know, I'm sorry. I, I, I put myself in a bad situation. What's he going to do? He says the, it says this. And so um, David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, uh, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Okay, so he sends and inquires about her, which I don't know what this looked like. It was like, you know, a message to her, like, hey, do you want to come over, you know, watch some Netflix, sit on the couch, spend some time together, talk, you know, I don't know what this inquiry looked like, but he sends information to her and finds out about her. And then it says, so David sent messengers and took her and she came to him. And he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived 
and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Okay, so maybe you've heard this story a thousand times, maybe it's the first time, but this is crazy. So the king gets this other man's wife pregnant. This is like the epitome of all scandal, right? I mean, this is like, this is like, this is a, his worst nightmare. You know, people are going to hear about this. Uh, what does this mean for his reign? What does this mean for him? I mean, this would have been a terrible, terrible situation. He put everything on the line for one moment of pleasure. Isn't that how it is? You put everything on the line for just a, a moment of pleasure. And in that moment, you think it's so going to be worth it. It's so, everything in you says, but it's just a little conversation. I'm just going to spend a little time with her. You know, we're just going to start talking about our feelings. I'm, I'm just going to be a, a friend to her. You know, I'm just going to let her open up to me. I'm just going to open up to her a little bit. Isn't it good to be friends? Isn't it good to share your feelings with somebody? You know, I mean, that's, I'm just being a friend. And it turns from one thing into the next. And you get closer and closer to the edge. The Bible says that we should flee from sexual immorality, which is very different from what David did in this moment, isn't it? That we should literally run from it. I mean, if we see it, the tendency is like, how close can I get without getting burned? And this, this isn't something we grow out of. This isn't something like, well, kids, you know, they try to get so close to the fire before they get burned. This is something we all do. We see, uh, we see something that's a temptation, and our tendency is to get as close as possible and hope that we don't hurt ourselves. And, and we see this even in our culture where like it's constantly drawing us into things that are going to hurt us and then judging us for making the bad choice that we make, right? So we end up in these terrible situations and David is in a terrible situation. He gets this woman pregnant and word's going to get out. And just for time's sake, we're not going to read the entire uh, rest of the chapter, but what David does is he starts conniving and making a plan. Which isn't this, this, is, this is our first temptation, isn't it? Like when you know that I'm going to be found out, the first thing that you do is try to make a plan. How do I get rid of the evidence, right? You've done it. You know you have. Like in one way or another, you made the bad choice, and then you were given an opportunity then in that moment to own up, to repent, to, to try to make it right, to just confess and say, listen, to the people around you and to God, I, I blew it. But then you start talking to yourself, and you're like, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe I can get through this. Maybe like I've, I can make a plan here and, and we can figure this out. Well, the way David tries to figure it out is he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to kill her husband. I'm going to try to get rid of the husband. And then, what, what, you know, it's, this is ancient times, so it would have been hard to tell like when he actually got her pregnant. So if I can get the husband killed, then when she con conceives, I can just say, well, she was back on the market, you know. I don't know if they're like, well, it's like a week, dude. Like, give her some time. But, you know, in the end, he could just kind of blame it on, well, she, you know, I don't know. He, he was dead. She's back on the market. So, you know, it's good to go. So he's trying to kind of create this, this situation where he's not going to be look, look like he's guilty. You've been there before where, where it's, it's one moment of, of a bad decision that then leads itself into many bad decisions. And it's almost like it's an addiction, isn't it? It's almost like you just can't even stop. I, I made one bad choice, and now it's going to lead me to make all of these other bad choices. And every time I make another bad choice, I convince myself this is going to fix the problem. This is going to make it better. And you're just smearing the mess around, aren't you? Just making a mess of things. It's getting worse and worse. What does it take to get to the point where you say, all right, 
this is way too bad for me. I can't fix it. I can't make it better. Okay, so let's skip ahead here. Let's see kind of what happens. Chapter 12, if you would. It says this, And the Lord sent Nathan. So Nathan is a prophet of the Lord. He is one of, uh, one of David's trusted advisor, advisors. This is a man who he knows, who he trusts, who wants the best for King David. Uh, we need those people, don't we? We need somebody in our lives who loves us, who knows us, who when they speak, we listen to them. Because there's, we don't give that to anybody. In fact, you shouldn't. You shouldn't just give everybody that position in your life where when they say something about you, that it carries the same weight. There should be people who are trusted advisors in your life. Hopefully, if you're married, it's your husband or your wife. Hopefully, if you've got a roommate, maybe it's your roommate, maybe it's a best friend. Hopefully, you have somebody in your life that you're like, I'm going to give them this authority to speak into my life. So this is the case. Nathan is that man. Says Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city. So he starts telling a story. I like that. He's just like, I'm just going to tell you a story before I say anything else. Two men in a city. The one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up And it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Okay, so this dude's got this little pet sheep. It's awesome. And he carries it around. It's like his little chihuahua. He's got this little, like, box that he carries it in everywhere he goes. It's with him in the the passenger seat. Like, he's just going everywhere with this little little ewe lamb. And so it says this. um, Now there came a traveler to the rich man. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. Okay, so the rich man has all kinds of stuff. I mean, more than anybody could imagine. And this random traveler comes to his house, and he's like, well, what am I going to feed this guy? I've got a lot, but I don't want to use any of that. It's going to cost me something. And it says this, um, you know, he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd for the guest, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. He ate the man's pet, okay? So he puts the pet, the little, the little pet lamb, on the dinner table for this, for this traveler. And it says this, then, then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Okay, so David's fired up. He's into the story. I love how quickly he's like, I'm just like on pins and needles. What happens with the lamb? Oh, he ate the lamb. That's terrible. Who is this guy? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this guy killed. Then Nathan said to David, this is one of the most famous lines in the story, you are the man, right? Which is different than what we would understand it to be. Not that you're the man, but you are the man. Or King James, I love that version. Thou art the man. I like that better. Thou art the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you, the king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hands of Saul. And it goes on and on to talk about all that God had done for him, all that God had gifted him, all that he had to be grateful for in that moment. You are that man. And this was like the moment that the mic dropped, right? All right, King David, you're the guy. You had all of this, everything you could have ever wanted. And this man He's, he's, you know, at battle and his, his wife's here bathing and you choose to go after his wife. Why would you do that? And I can imagine in this moment, King David's kind of like wondering, why would I do that? 
which is a lot of how this works is we, we deceive ourselves into thinking things are not going to be a big deal or to, to thinking this will be worth the suffering or the pain that's going to come through this. And then at the other side of things, hindsight's twenty twenty. we ask ourselves, what were we thinking? Why would we do that? A few things I want you to write down as we walk through this. The first thing is this, that unidentified problems never get fixed. They never get fixed. Um, when I was 13, I had the Jonathan Taylor Thomas hair. Anybody else have that? Come on, dudes, be honest. John, JTT hair, the blonde hair with the part. I mean, I was looking good, right? So had the JTT hair. Um, and so the thing is, here's the problem. I was a little on the husky side. And so we go in to get uh, my haircut this one time. And we sit down to get my haircut. And I, I will remember it to this day. The lady comes up to my mother and says, what kind of haircut would you like for your daughter? And I was just brokenhearted. I'm like, I'm a dude. Come on. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And that's when I got my first flat top, which is cool. And so, I mean, I literally, in that moment, I didn't realize it, but I, like, all of a sudden, it occurred to me, I look kind of like a girl. I didn't want to look like a girl. I wanted to look like a guy. And I just, I didn't realize that this is what was going on. And, and here's the thing, when, when things in your life aren't identified, you don't know that it's a problem until you know that it's a problem. And so it takes a certain situation for you to be made aware of those things. Psalm 36, this is a great passage. I'm just going to read this for you. Verse 1 through 4 says this, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes, that his iniquity cannot be found out, and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to ask, act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Th th this psalm is talking about the kind of person who gets to this point where you're just so, so disillusioned and, and self-deceived that you don't even look for the truth anymore. Like, you don't even reject evil anymore. In fact, what it's done at this point is it's kind of snowballed into you actually making plans and plots in your life for evil. For evil. Like, like you know, it, it, turned, it started off with some little self-deception. Then it turned into you on a rooftop thinking it would be okay to go after another man's wife. Now, I don't know, tonight you're like, well, Brian, I haven't been on any rooftops lately, so I'm doing pretty good. But you have stuff, and I have stuff in my life right now that I am deceived about, and I know it. And, and I just, I feel like the first place to begin with, if we can just, as a church, this is where we started, if we can just start off with this, guys, there are things about you you don't realize. There are sins in your life, things that don't honor God, things that are hurting the people around you and hurting your own life that you have no idea about yet. How do I know that? Well, you're going to be convicted of something tomorrow that you didn't know about today. So that's proof that, you know, throughout your life, we find out more and more about ourselves. We find new things to be convicted about. So it's proof that at no point have I just arrived at this. There, there's a lot of room to grow. So unidentified problems never get fixed. We've got to be honest about the problem. We've got to look it in the eye. You've got to pop the hood, you know? Don't be that person that just keeps driving. I just hope the motor doesn't blow up. I hear the terrible noise. It's knocking. It's ticking. Don't elbow the person next to you. Like, don't, it's okay. Like, I know sometimes some people do that. But when it's making noise, pull over. Call the mechanic. Get some help. Next thing is this. Uh, you can achieve your goals at the expense of your soul. 
If you're a leader here today or, or if you're somebody who's got, you know, a lot of aspirations in life and you're trying to do some great things, now Jesus makes it clear. He says, what good is it if a man gets, you know, gets the whole world but, but forfeits his soul? What good is it? And there, there's a way to conquer all kinds of things, to win all kinds of battles like David, to do all kinds of great things in the, in the eyes of the people around you, yet to give up your soul. The tendency is, is to look at your life and say, well, it looks like success, so it must mean that I'm, I'm healthy and being blessed. Like, we, we, we correlate success with blessing. But there are a lot of successful, unblessed people out there, aren't there? And there are a lot of people who aren't that successful who are very blessed. Have you met them? Are, are you them? Are you like, I haven't done that much, but I am at peace with God and uh, I feel like I'm pursuing him, and I feel like I'm honest about myself, and I know what I'm good at, and I know what I'm terrible at, and I'm just like, life's good. And then there's people who have done so much in their lives, and yet their souls are rotting away. Now, maybe you tonight, maybe you're here, and you're like, that's kind of my problem, is I'm here, and I feel like I've done a lot, but I I feel like I just, there's something else. There's something missing. It feels like no matter what I achieve, none of it really meets the need that I'm trying to fill. So you can achieve all kinds of things at the expense of your soul. The next thing is this. The higher you climb, the harder it is to stay grounded. Have you been there before? Where when you've gotten the promotion, you get a little chip on your shoulder. You get the next promotion, the chip gets bigger, right? You get the next promotion, it gets bigger until it's this like monster And all of a sudden, your pride starts welling up and you become a little bit more arrogant, a little less willing to to be honest about yourself. The higher you climb, the more you accomplish in life. And I hope that you accomplish a lot, a lot of things that really will matter for eternity's sake. You know, I, I think not just of things you do in your job, but even things in the kingdom. I think of myself as a pastor. I can accomplish a lot. We could, we could baptize all kinds of people. We could see all kinds of people come to, to church, and that could be really great, and I could be dying on the inside. You guys have seen pastors do that. You've seen guys do a lot of great things, and then you're shocked. You're like, wow, look at all they did. And there's something going on inside of them where there's just this twisted perspective on what matters. And it was maybe great things done for the wrong reasons in their lives. The higher you climb, the harder it is to stay grounded. I mean, I don't know what this looks like for you to stay grounded, to remember your roots, to remember where you've come from. I think that's really important. Um, I don't know, like, maybe it means being honest about the compliments you get. I always, I've learned this over the years. Um, People will compliment me on things. Ah, oh, Brian, great sermon. That was good, you know. Oh, the church is doing good, Pastor Brian. That's, that's great. And, and a lot of times, people don't see what's going on behind the scenes. And they don't see, like, the struggles that I've experienced or, or the work that it took to get there. And sometimes people are like, wow, it looks so easy for you. And I'm like, do you have any idea how stressed I was about that? Do you have any idea how many hours I put in to preparing for that? And, and I realize, like, people's compliments, they should only carry so much weight in our lives. If you're the kind of person that's seeking out people's compliments, like like looking for that kind of affirmation, it can become really unhealthy. All of a sudden, like you are dependent on other people for your own self-worth instead of on Christ himself. Who does he say you are? Because like Paul says, like he talks about like who am I trying to press, man or God? In the end, what's going to matter? What people think of me or what God thinks of me? 
And so I'm, I'm, I'm learning. I'm slowly learning. I love your, your, your encouragement. You guys are like, well, I'm going to tell you your sermon was good then. Fine. That's great. Now we're going to say that again. No, I appreciate it. I swear. Like, it means a lot. If you send an email, that's awesome. Uh, I love all of that. But it just, it takes up a different piece of real estate in my heart at this point. And I think that's a good thing, right? Like, I think it's good. Like, if you nail it at work, or if you're just like an amazing parent, somebody's like, you are such a good mom that that just takes a certain place in your life and you're not like, yes, I am. You should go to my class. Moms who are awesome, 101. Like, we're gonna start this class, $500. I mean, like, you can start steamrolling and become an unhealthy person. So the higher you climb, the better you become. Like, the more more God changes your heart, the more the tendency is gonna be to to, to not stay grounded. Um, There's a guy named Chuck Colson. You ever heard of him? Uh, he talks about what's called the pedestal complex. And he talks about how this is a, this is a tendency for, for all of us in different ways, uh, pastors especially, where people put you up on a pedestal. And, and so it's, it's, it's in many ways like it's both people that are causing this. Like people are going to put you up on a pedestal because you're good at your job. Maybe you've got a high rank in your, in, in your position, you know, whatever it may be. But you're also, you have an opportunity there to respond to that in a way that keeps you sane and healthy. So make sure you allow people's compliments only to go so far. The next thing is this, comfort breeds complacency. Comfort breeds complacency. As you grow at what you do, uh, if you're getting along in your years and learning some things, I hope, you know, I know things in my 30s that I didn't know in my 20s. I hope in my 40s I'm going to know things that I didn't know in my 30s. I hope as I grow, not that I'm going to get life nailed down, but I'm going to learn some things and figure a few things out. And I see that. And as we do that, what happens is we get comfortable. Some of you are comfortable here tonight. You're comfortable with the church. You're comfortable with where you're at spiritually speaking. You're, you're comfortable with where you're at you know, with God and with the people around you. You're just comfortable and so because of that, you've stopped learning. You've stopped growing. You've stopped asking people like, hey, can you tell me where the gaps are in my life? Like different than when your life's falling apart and you're like, somebody help me, right? Somebody tell me why this is such a mess. Somebody give me a hand here. I can't figure any of this out. So we get into these places where we forget to ask those questions. Comfort breeds complacency. But good leaders are always learners. And that's just something I know to be true is that when I'm, when I'm, you know, 10 years, 20 years as a leader, if I'm going to still be leading, that means I want to be somebody who's reading a lot, who's asking a lot of questions. I love it when somebody who is farther along than me, either in the faith or in ministry or in life, comes to me and asks me questions. To me, like that honors me because I'm like, wow, that's crazy. This person would even ask me uh, what they could learn from me. And so if, I love the people in my life that are older, farther along, but they're always looking to grow, always looking to learn. That's just, I love that. I want to be that kind of person that when I'm in my 70s, I'm going to go to a 20-year-old and be like, how do you do this so well? Like, what, why are you so great at this? That at no point I'm like, I've nailed it. You know, look at me. Look where I've come from. I have nothing left to learn. So be a learner. Uh, The next thing is achievement is the drug of choice for the ambitious. There are some motivated people in the room here today. They have done some pretty good things. And, and, and you've accomplished some stuff. And what, what the tendency is, if you're ambitious, if you're the kind of person that, that wants a lot of things, you're going after a lot of stuff, the, the drug of choice is getting exactly what you wanted. That's how it works. 
And over time, what happens is that's where you get your sense of worth and who you are. And this is, this is so important. We just, we lose the reality of this stuff. We lose who we are in all of this. There's a difference between can and should. Uh, you, you might be able to get the next promotion. You might be able to accomplish the next project. You might be able to do the next thing. But at some point, you have to stop and go, what does God actually want from my life? What does he really want me to do? And that's just a good question for anybody to ask. Because you know, like, just because you can do something does not mean it's good for you or good for the people around you. So what is it that you should be doing? So a few things. If you're here tonight and you're like, I don't know, am I self-deceived? Who am I? I just wrote down a few things. Um, uh, so, like, I'm, I got a little redneck in me. I got a little Jeff Foxworthy in my past. And so, like, this is, like, uh, might be a redneck version of these questions, but it's like, you might be self-deceived. How, how would like, you might be self-deceived if everyone around you agrees with you. You might be self-deceived. You might be self-deceived if everyone around you is wrong, okay? Uh, you might be self-deceived if it's been a long time since you've had your mind blown by new information. You might be self-deceived. You might be self-deceived if you look around and say, nobody understands me, if you've said something like that. You might be self-deceived if you can't keep a friendship for over six weeks and you don't know why. Um, you might be self-deceived if you're overcome by anxiety. You might be self-deceived if you've ever wondered why other parents can't get their kids to be more like your kids. <laughs> you might be... I'm getting in somebody's business. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's what I'm supposed to do, right? Uh, you might be self-deceived if you're meeting all of your goals but still aren't happy. You might be self-deceived if you're making more money than ever but can't figure out why you have less money than ever. You might be self-deceived if you're overcome by jealousy. You might be self-deceived if you think you're mature but lack love for the people around you. You might be self-deceived if you hate this sermon. So um, it may be my fault, but it may be yours. So if you're like, I just want to get out of here and go get my kids, uh, can we just, like, bathroom break, like, get me out of here. It may be me, but it may be you. So I, I just think this is the first place that we start. I feel like this is my, maybe my primary goal <laughs> as a pastor is to bring all of us before Jesus and, and have us be honest about where things are at. So a few steps if you guys are like, I want to get better, you know, I, I, want, to, I want to get better at this. The first thing is this, to ask for the truth, to simply ask for it. I mean, that is scary. It's scary to ask for the truth. I, I asked somebody on our team uh, a few weeks ago, tell me, is there anything that I'm doing that's creating an unhealthy team environment? Would you be willing to ask that question? Because that's scary, right? Like, what is it that I'm doing that's not helping us become the team that we want to be? As a parent, to ask your kids, is there anything that I'm doing that isn't making you feel cared for? To ask your spouse, to ask your friends to go to your Nathan and to say, hey, would you speak to me and let me know, like, do you see something in me that I don't see? The, the psalmist says, search my heart, God. Like, tell me if there's any wickedness within me. Tell me what it is that I don't see, God. That's a scary prayer, isn't it? So if you're serious about this, if you're like, I'll do it, then I want you to go home tonight. And just in your own space, in, your, in the silence of your bedroom, wherever it is, just to say, God, search my heart. Show me what I don't see so that I might be honest with you. 
The next thing is this, don't reject it before you inspect it. So some sometimes maybe it's hard to receive feedback. This has always been my, one of my biggest struggles is hearing people give me feedback, especially when I don't want it. Because the reality is sometimes people that need to speak into your life, they need to speak into your life and you're not looking for it. Like, like David didn't call for Nathan, Nathan spoke to David, right? He, he needed to speak into his life. And so some of you have a Nathan that needs to speak into your life and they're going to say something, and your first response is just to be angry with Nathan, right? It's to be frustrated. Why would you say that about me? And that's so terrible. But not to spend the time seeking out the truth. And a mentor of mine one time, uh, he, just, he, he told me, he's like, Brian, most people who have feedback for you, uh, somewhere in that feedback is something that's true. Like somewhere inside of that is something that's true. And so your job is to find the truth in what people say to you. And then it's that whole, like, eat the meat, spit out the bones, right? Because there's going to be some, some bones in there. There's going to be some stuff that's maybe their emotions. And, and the tendency is, well, if it's emotional or if the way they come across is frustrated or, or they don't say it right, then I'm going to write it all off. But the person who wants to be honest about their self-deception says, no, speak. And, and when I hear it, even if it's kind of grating on me and I don't want to hear it, I'm going to look it in the eye and be honest, I think a defensive spirit is one of the surest signs of an insecure leader. And I've been, I've been there before where I've defended myself. I felt the first impulse is to say, you're wrong. Why would you say that to me? It's a sign of my insecurity. And I've also seen this, that the more convinced I am that I have to fight for my position on something, the more odds are that, that I am wrong about that specific thing or need to grow in that area. So that thing that you feel like you need to righteously fight about every time somebody brings it out, if whatever that is, there's a great chance that that's an area of your life that God wants to grow you in. He's got something for you, something new for you to learn in that specific area of your life. Don't reject it until you inspect it. There's this guy named Peter that Jesus knew and loved very much. And in his last days of life, Jesus talking about how all of my friends, they're all going to desert me. They're going to scatter, you know, in the wind. And I'm going to be up on that cross. It's just going to be me and my father, you know. And what does Peter say? You guys remember? Father, I will never desert you. I would, I would die before I would leave you, right? Don't you love that? And then Peter goes on to deny Jesus three times, and we see all of what Jesus said come true. Don't reject it until you inspect it. I see Peter probably should have spent some time going, well, is there something in my heart that honestly, in that moment, if I'm really put underneath those circumstances, I would, I would probably choose to run. So don't reject those things. The last thing is this. Expose your shadows to the light of Christ. This is where I want to close out. Expose your shadows to the light of Christ. What we all have in our lives are things that are still in the shadows. There are parts of you, parts of how we live, that you have yet to, to understand are unhealthy and hurtful to you and the people around you. We all have shadows in our lives. Now, the only way for us to get better is to expose those things to the light of Jesus. That's how we're actually going to grow. It's how we're going to get better is if we expose those things to Jesus. Because just finding out the truth and looking it in the eye doesn't make things better, does it? I mean, it really takes to be honest about it and then to, to have a solution. Here's what's awesome, you guys. Listen, Jesus is our solution. He really is. Like, he is the way that we can look at ourselves honestly. Like, when we truly know who we are, when people come up to you and they say, hey, you've got a mess coming in your life, like there's something going on here, you don't have to defend yourself. You can receive the part that's true about that and you can move on. 
because Jesus is the one that, that, that's the solution for us. And so I want to read this psalm as we close out of the message translation. I love this. Uh, go ahead and put that up. Psalm 8510 says, Love and truth meet in the street. Right living and whole living embrace and kiss. I love that psalm. Love and truth meet in the street. This is, this is where you're going to know the love of God is when you are being honest. Is when you are just being true about who you are. And what happens is when you're true about who you are, God embraces you. Jesus loves you. He covers our sins. And this is, what's, this is what we all desire. And here's what, I don't know all of you. Um, there's many of you I don't know personally. But here's what I do know. Is that you want to be loved for the real you. Is that you're here tonight. And, and if you could have something that would, that would just be amazing in your life, it would be for somebody to know everything about you and still love you. To know your little quirks and your little habits that you try to hide. To know all the little imperfections on your body that you try to cover up with, you know, makeup, you know. To know all of your, your problems and your fears and your past and to know all of that and to still love you. I mean, this is the picture of the garden when Adam and Eve stand before God and the Bible says that they were naked and unashamed. That was both physically and spiritually. And so as humans, we all have this desire to be before our God and to be naked and unashamed. And it only happens through Jesus. And so when you're truthful, when you're honest, you're going to receive love. Like the closer you are to being true about who you are, the closer you are to understanding the depth and the width and the height of the love of God. Do you guys see that correlation? Like the more you're true, the more you're honest, the more you're understanding the love of God for you. Here's the lie. You can't plead the fifth in heaven. You can't, you can't plead the fifth. You can't tell God, well, I didn't know. You can't just close your ears and cover your eyes and act like it's not there. Has that worked for you when you've gotten pulled over? Has that, has that worked out well? I didn't know the speed limit. You should have, right? I mean, that's how it works. It's the same way with God, and God says, we have no excuse, folks, so we might as well look the truth in the eye. I have a friend who I was talking to about some medical issues, and he said, you know what? I'm at the point where I'm not sure I want to know anymore. I'm not sure I want to do the test. I'm not sure I want to know any more about it. And I'm like, but what if there's a solution? What if, what if you can get help? And this is what we're about here as a church is Jesus is our help. You don't have to be afraid of the truth. It is as messy as you hope it isn't. But Jesus' love is greater than you've ever hoped that it is. So I want to, I want to show a story real quick of a woman who recently here at ACF just, just received the love of Christ in a new way. Hey ACF, my name's Becca. I've been asked today to share a little bit of my story with you, so bear with me please. Um, I grew up in Virginia near Washington, D.C. Um, great family. We went to church growing up. And over the years, I did get baptized. I took my first communion at about 11 years old. And um, then over time, we just kind of stopped going to church, did a lot of exploring on my own. Still not going to church, but um, looking at other religions, other uh, theologies. I looked at Buddhism for a long time, Native American traditions, went to sweat lodges and drum ceremonies went through a lot of my own experiences that kind of led me back into wanting to explore church again. Walking up to ACF, I immediately was struck by the music that has always been a big part of my life and it really spoke to me, just the, the beauty of the sound. 
And then seeing the message on the shirts of the greeters, love all, serve all, was something I absolutely was able to relate to. Um, so I felt like I immediately I'd made a good choice to give this place a chance. And during service, I was encouraged by the message, and then Pastor Brian started talking about baptisms. And <laughs> I just kind of, in my head, looked up at God and said, why, no, not today, what are you what's going on? Um, I just wanna be here to kind of test the waters. I don't wanna try this out that far yet. Um, but I was listening to Pastor Brian, I was hemming and hawing in my seat, going, no, don't jump in, just take your time, don't rush into things, and I, heard a voice in my head say, I'm waiting for you, Becca, what are you waiting for? So I said, okay, I, I'm not gonna argue, I'm sorry. And I stood up and went out in the lobby, signed my name on the line and got my shirt and got baptized. It was the most profound experience of my life, far beyond what I thought it could have been. I literally woke up the next morning with a smile on my face, which is something that I hadn't been able to do for many months. I felt awake. I felt full of energy, full of strength that I could actually accomplish the things that had been bogging me down for weeks to months on end, and that anything was possible. I didn't feel afraid anymore. And so I pray that if there's any point to me standing here right now, it's that my message might resonate with some of you out there that um, it may spur others on to take that plunge literally and get baptized that it, it will change your life. So here's what we're celebrating tonight. You guys last week 27 people got baptized. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. So we just, we decided, you know, we feel like there's still something left to be done here and that, that God, you know, is still working in hearts here and that uh, we wanted to keep this opportunity open uh, for one more week. And so uh, if that's you tonight, if you, you're here tonight and you're like, man, uh, I'm ready to just be who I am in front of people. And you realize that baptism isn't, that it's not a sign that you're perfect. It's just a, a sign that God has covered your sin and that you're receiving his grace and fullness. It's just a symbol God commands us that once we make a decision to follow Jesus, we go public with our faith. It's the first step of obedience as we follow God. And so um, if you've been putting this off and you're having kind of an argument with God, I would just encourage you, tonight's your night. Don't leave here having not taken that next step and said, I'm done playing games with my faith. Uh, I'm done acting like I am something that I'm not. I've been saved by grace. And so I'm ready to tell the world. And so that's our goal tonight. And so if you're here, I encourage you to go out to the lobby and during these first couple songs, um, they'll give you some shirts and uh, they'll, they'll help you to get ready for that. And uh, so you can check in there. And, and uh, this is just for, for anybody that says, I follow Jesus. It's a public declaration of your faith. And so I want to pray for you and then we're going to sing together. Jesus, we're grateful that, uh, God, you give us the blessing of being able to tell people about what you've done in our hearts. It'd be so easy just to kind of hide in the corner and God, act like, uh, like it doesn't change things, God. But we know that, God, you have changed our hearts. And, and God, we want to bless others by seeing what you've done, God, and transforming us, God. And I just thank you for those 27 people. God, I thank you that those are lives that are transformed by your grace. 
God, I pray for each and every one of them, God, that they'd, they'd see this week the, the blessing of, of not hiding in the corner, but being public about what Jesus has done in their lives. God, I pray for the one person in this room, maybe, who tonight is wrestling with you. God, give them courage. Give them strength. God, help them to be able to have the strength in their needs to stand and to say and declare, God, you have saved me. And that not by my good works, but by your grace am I saved. So God, we love you. We thank you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.